Way back in 1989, when I was an impressionable young man, a movie came out that made an indelible impression on me. That movie was The Abyss, and I loved everything about it. The underwater setting was oppressive and mysterious, but it was also beautiful at the same time. The characters were mostly all relatable, blue-collar workers who would look just as believable working in a mechanics shop as they did working on a sci-fi drilling platform deep underwater. The creatures discovered throughout the movie were fascinating to me, and there were even some tense and scary moments, even though the overall movie was more about discovery and hope. The Abyss might not have been the biggest theatrical hit of the year, but it did well enough with mainstream audiences that it caused numerous ripoffs and mockbusters to flood the theatrical and home video markets in 1989 and beyond. Most of these knockoffs did away with any of the messages that The Abyss tried to convey and went for straight up monster movie scares. Some of these movies were great, like Leviathan, but others were shallow cash-ins that could be fun in their own way, but weren't very well made overall, like Lords of the Deep. Regardless of the varying quality, all of these movies popularized the subgenre of underwater monster movies. The easiest way to describe the subgenre is to say that it's basically Ridley Scott's Alien, but underwater instead of in outer space. You've got blue-collar workers trapped together in a big rig or something that looks like it's held together with duct tape and elbow grease. You have a mysterious creature or creatures that typically want to kill all the humans. And you have a lot of fear and claustrophobia as people die, air runs out, and water seeps in. I love that stuff. And I really just love horror movies about isolation and struggles to survive. I love monster movies where we are slowly introduced to the different aspects of the monster as the plot unfolds. I love the setting of being deep underwater with all the darkness, beauty, and mystery that comes with it, and I really just love underwater monster movies. So when I saw that there would be a brand new, moderately budgeted, theatrically released underwater monster movie, I was pretty excited. I didn't want to get my hopes up too much, but I really do enjoy even the worst of the subgenre, so I wasn't too worried. Did the latest Deep Sea Fright Fest satisfy my unquenchable thirst for water monsters? Find out tonight as I discuss the aptly named movie, Underwater, here in The Last Theater. Welcome once again to The Last Theater. My name is Chris, and of course, you can head over to cnjradio.com for any and all of the episodes of this podcast that you might have missed. I've been doing some more brand new movies lately and intend to keep it up, so you can find all of those over on cnjradio.com. And of course, since tonight I am talking about a movie that still is currently in theaters as I record this episode... The first part of the show will be a spoiler-free review, then I'll give a spoiler warning, and I'll talk about all the bits that need to be spoiled in the last part of the show. And I think you might want to stick around for the spoilers, even if you don't have any interest in the movie itself, because I thought the ending of Underwater and some of its reveals and resolutions were great. So what did I think of Underwater overall? Did it live up to my hopes and expectations? Well, I'm happy to announce that it has broken my recent streak of bad luck with horror movies in the theater. I very much enjoyed Underwater from the opening scene until the final resolution. The action kicks off almost right when the movie starts, and it steadily builds up the action and tension throughout its entire about hour and a half runtime. The story is pretty basic, but it's good enough for a movie of this type. 
The main characters are developed just enough so that their actions feel informed rather than just completely random, and those characters are portrayed very well by a strong cast led by Kristen Stewart. The movie kind of gets the minimum done that it needs to do in order to move the plot along without too many questions about plot logic or character logic. All of this creates a solid foundation built to support what the movie is really about. Underwater is really about an increasingly vicious group of monsters that force the dwindling number of characters to run and swim and float for their lives. It's a movie built on claustrophobia and tension with bursts of frantic, terror-filled action, and it's super fun. I will definitely be watching this again when it hits home video. Critic reviews have been mixed at best, but audience reviews have been a bit more kind. I don't really care too much about any of that, but I do mention the reviews because a lot of the negative I see people saying about Underwater stems from the fact that people are calling it derivative. Is it derivative? Yeah, in some ways it is. This goes back to my review of The Grudge 2020, when I was talking about how for a movie to fit well inside a genre, a certain degree of derivativeness is not unheard of, nor is it unwelcome. It's all about how you approach the making of any particular genre movie. A good movie is still a good movie, even if you've seen it before. And yeah, one of my complaints about The Grudge was that it felt like I'd seen it all before, and I still feel that way, but the bigger part of that was that The Grudge's derivative nature just wasn't done very well most of the time. Anything derivative about Underwater usually comes across as stylish in a way, and mostly tense and very well done. Have we seen people get ripped apart by underwater monsters before? Sure, but Underwater often does it well, so it's enjoyable. So what is Underwater derivative of? Well, first of all, like about a thousand other movies that came out after Alien, it's somewhat derivative of Ridley Scott's Alien. Like, if you name nearly any sci-fi movie in space or underwater that deals with a crew trapped in essentially one place while trying to avoid monsters of some sort, you can almost always trace back at least some of its roots to Alien. If Alien is the movie by which all of these others are judged, then most of them are going to come up short. But it's not really about a comparison. It's just about having a fun time with a fun movie. And the same goes for another movie that clearly had an influence on Underwater, the movie I started this show talking about, The Abyss. So what are the similarities between these movies? Well, like Alien and The Abyss, Underwater features a small crew of blue-collar type individuals who are forced to work together to survive when things go badly wrong in their isolated ship or station or whatever. The entire movie is about their fight to survive, but not everyone is going to make it back to solid ground. There are, of course, many more similarities, but those will probably become more obvious as I talk more about Underwater, so I'm not going to point out every single one. But the basic setup for Underwater is very similar to The Abyss, and we get most of this background information in a very efficient opening credit sequence. The opening credits play over a series of news clippings telling us about this underwater drilling station at the Mariana Trench, and there's a good amount of information shown to us, but even if you don't read absolutely everything, you still get the gist of it. Underwater drilling station. That's all you really need to know. Then we're introduced to Kristen Stewart's character, a mechanical engineer named Nora. After a very brief scene of Nora contemplating life stuff as she slowly brushes her teeth, something bad happens, the station shakes, and water starts rushing down the passageways. At about two or three minutes in, the movie is off and running as Nora literally runs for her life as the passages begin to collapse from the incredible underwater pressure. 
We see people die, but we also see Nora saving whomever she can as she tries to make her way to an escape pod. At this point, we're building up the main group that we will venture with throughout the rest of the movie. We meet a few more people, including Lucian, the captain of the rig, played by Vincent Cassell, whom I know best from Black Swan and Irreversible, a character named Paul, played by T.J. Miller, who I know best from Deadpool, and a biologist named Emily, played by Jessica Henwick, who was in Game of Thrones, but whom I know best as Colleen Wing from the Iron Fist series. There are a few others in the group, but those are really the main four characters who get most of the development throughout the movie. Once everyone is assembled, Captain Lucian decides that their best chance of survival is to put on some suits and walk across the ocean floor to where there might be some escape pods. The suits aren't made for this type of walk. They very well might run out of air. The rig is collapsing around them as they speak, and there is something else out there in the darkness of the deep that they have not yet discovered. From there, still very early in the runtime, Underwater shifts from this disaster movie into a monster movie. Now it starts to feel more and more like Alien, as the remaining crew members discover some previously unknown creatures that want to make them dead. And that's the basic plot of the movie. People die, plans have to be reevaluated and reworked as things go from bad to worse, and fears have to be overcome if there is to be any chance of survival for anyone. To say anything more about the creatures themselves would spoil a lot of the fun of the movie, but I will say that I thoroughly enjoyed how Underwater introduced us to the monsters. Similar to Alien, we were shown small bits and pieces that built on top of each other as the movie went on. First, the crew heard some noises. Then they discovered the aftermath of some attacks. Then we saw unclear flashes as the danger got closer and closer. Eventually, we did see everything, and it's a pretty glorious sight by the end of the movie. I think the build-up absolutely paid off in the end. The creatures might not be as visually memorable as the xenomorphs from Alien, but some of those final shots in the movie are really great. That's all I'll say for now, though. Stick around for the spoilers if you want to know what I'm talking about specifically. But as much as I like the monsters, the movie could have still been a dud if I didn't care about any of the characters. Thankfully, Underwater had a strong cast and did a great job of making us feel for what they were going through, even if we didn't learn much about any of their backgrounds. Kristen Stewart is the lead, and she does a very good job of portraying a strong and stoic person who ends up becoming heroic even if she didn't intend to be in the first place. Her character Nora is really just trying to survive, but her actions show just how much she cares about others and how she is willing to sacrifice her own safety to help others. Nora is the main character of Underwater, and if I remember correctly, she is the only character that is in every single scene in the movie. So if Nora hadn't been interesting or likable in some way, then the movie could have been a chore to get through. I did like Nora though, and I've become a pretty decent fan of Kristen Stewart's over the last few years. I haven't seen everything she's done, but between this, Lizzie, and her performance in Charlie's Angels this past year, I would say that I'm a fan. The supporting cast is often very good as well. T.J. Miller is the comic relief, and though he's not always that funny, I think he did his job in his role well. To me, T.J. played the character of Paul as if he's scared and frustrated, so he uses comedy to either cover up his feelings or to sarcastically vent his emotions. As we are forced to journey with Paul throughout these life-threatening situations, a lot of his quips come off as snarky rather than funny, and I think that works for the character. I think straight comedy would have detracted from a lot of the building tension, but Paul's biting comments kind of add to it. Vincent Cassell's Captain Lucian is a nice welcome in a movie like this. 
A lot of times in movies like this, there is always a member of the group that actively works against everyone else. He's usually a jerk for no good reason, and it can get annoying until he's mercifully murdered by whatever creature is hunting them down. I fully expected Lucian to be that character, but he wasn't. Quite the opposite, in fact. Lucian was a captain who made sure that his crew were taken care of first, and he did his best to help in every way possible. Vincent Cassell is a great actor, and he plays a great jerk, but I found that he can also play a great leader in Underwater. And Jessica Henwick rounds out what is really the main cast. Jessica's character, Emily, is a biologist who is absolutely unprepared for life underwater, and even less prepared for the dire situation she finds herself in. Emily doesn't come across as annoying in her inexperience, even though the character could have been played like that. Jessica plays Emily as understandably scared and cautious. Emily has one of the bigger character arcs in the movie, and her journey is just as interesting to me as Nora's is. There are also two other members of the crew trying to survive with the main group. Their names are Rodrigo and Liam, but their parts are somewhat smaller. I wouldn't say they're just there as fish bait, but they are definitely there to support the journeys of the other characters that I just mentioned. So yeah, all in all, I thought the cast was great and they did a great job. None of the characters were super deep, but a couple of revelations toward the end of the movie did give us just enough background for some of the actions taken by certain characters to make total sense. The revelations weren't necessary to the plot, but it did make the characters' choices make sense based on internal logic. I thought it was a nice touch. So, we have fun monsters and a great cast. What else do we need for a fun monster movie? How about the visuals and effects? When talking about the look and feel of the movie, I think it's easiest to split it up into two main categories. Inside the various underwater locations, and outside in the actual water. First, let's talk about the interiors. If you've seen Alien, or any of the movies inspired by Alien, then you'll immediately be familiar with the looks of all of the interiors in Underwater. There are lots of tight metallic corridors bathed in dark and moody lighting. All of these movies basically take place in what looks like a submarine built out of spare parts from some sort of industrial warehouse. The only difference between the movies that take place underwater rather than in space is that the underwater movies will typically look wet all the time and will probably have dripping water somewhere. The interior locations in underwater look good though. Familiar and good. They're sufficiently cramped to begin with, and the added bonus of the corridors collapsing early in the movie makes certain spaces even tighter. There was one scene in particular early in the movie that reminded me more than a little bit of one of the most claustrophobic scenes from the movie The Descent. The addition of water in that scenario and others made scenes like that nicely tense. There are actually a few different interiors that the characters go through as they reach their final destination, and I think a decent amount of effort was made to make each set look different enough so that the scenes didn't all just blend together. I think a lot of that had to do with the varied lighting given to each different location, but the different interiors did have different feelings even if I wasn't necessarily thinking about that while I was watching the movie. Only by looking back and trying to remember what I saw do I really just now start to see some of the differences. A large chunk of the movie took place out in the water though, and those exterior locations were done well. Unlike the interiors, many of the exterior locations felt like they did blend together somewhat. It wasn't always clear where the characters were in relation to the buildings or even in relation to each other. While I think some people might see this as a negative, I think it is absolutely a positive for this type of movie. These characters are deep underwater, so of course there would be no natural light. 
A lot of times, the only lights are the ones on the dive suits that the characters are wearing, but the water is so murky that even with the lights, no one can really see too far out in front of them. And even when things do come into view, it can often be blurry or otherwise unclear as whatever it is in the water is being obscured by the murk. Whenever anyone is in the water, most of the action takes place more or less from the character's point of view. And I don't mean that it's all done with POV shots. What I mean is that the framing is often done fairly tight on the characters, so we get more of a sense of their subjective experience rather than some omniscient view that would be given with lots of wider shots. This leads to lots of flashes and quick cuts as the creatures attack from all sides, and I think that works well for the feeling the movie is trying to instill in us. The entire movie isn't like this though. As we go along and the creatures are revealed more and more, there are more and more wide shots when the remaining characters end up back out in the water. A lot of this makes sense in the story because by the later parts of the movie, the characters have gotten closer to their destination, which has more lights. It's also a benefit for the movie because we as an audience realize that we're going to need a lot more wide shots to really get a sense of the problem these characters are facing. Even with more wide shots though, the movie still makes strong efforts to put us in the characters' positions as much as possible. I think it's a great choice by director William Eubank. Even though the characters are facing greater odds than anyone realized, all of the fear in action is character-based rather than just some big spectacle. Although, as I will talk about when I get to the spoilers, there is plenty of spectacle to be seen by the end of the movie. So overall, yeah, the interiors and exteriors all looked good and fit exactly what I want from an underwater monster movie. Like I said, some people might want the water scenes to be more clear from an action standpoint, but I think that would undercut the fear created by the uncertainty. It's a personal preference, but I like what Underwater went with. And as far as the fear created by the movie, I think that was also done well. The monsters were scary enough, and the way they dispatched some of the characters in the movie made the deaths feel more unsettling rather than just gross or violent. There was a bit of blood, but it felt restrained overall. Blood was used to accentuate a death rather than to oversell it. Also, one of the most unsettling deaths actually wasn't caused by the monsters. At least, not directly. That kind of thing, plus the ever-present fear of suffocation and drowning, made everything at least a little frightening, and I really liked it. If I did have some complaints about Underwater, I think a lot of them would have to do with some of the earlier scenes in the movie. I enjoyed all of the scenes overall, but at times there was so much going on that it was difficult to catch everything that was being said. I loved that the movie started at 100 miles an hour and never really stopped, but it seemed like there was this impenetrable wall of sound as Nora and the people she met along the way were trying to get to the escape pods and then to the main gathering place for the surviving members of the crew. There was rushing water, banging, dripping, and I think there were alarms going off at various times. It definitely made the scenes tense in a way that made you want the characters to keep moving forward, but I can't help but feel that I missed some quips and character moments among all the noise. Of course, the plot is simple enough that you don't really need to hear anything to understand what's happening at that point in the movie. I mean, the rig is collapsing and everyone's going to die if they don't make it to this other place. But still, I don't like missing lines of dialogue, and I know I definitely did in the first 20 or so minutes of the movie. That's a minor complaint though, and it didn't really detract from my enjoyment of Underwater. As you can probably tell by now, I enjoyed Underwater quite a lot. 
I know I'm a bit predisposed to liking movies like this, so take my recommendation as you will, but I would recommend Underwater to anyone who has even a passing interest in sci-fi monster movies, especially ones with an isolated group of people who are trying to survive as their numbers dwindle. It's a solid production with good effects and a great atmosphere. The box office looks dismal for Underwater as I record this, but hopefully it can find a receptive audience on home video. I just hope the general public's apparent lack of interest doesn't scare people away from making more underwater monster movies. I love these things. And with that, the spoiler-free portion of this episode has come to an end. Stick around after this brief intermission if you want to hear me spoil the very fun finale of Underwater and most of the deaths in the movie. But really, if you haven't seen it yet and are really interested, go watch the movie first and then come back. It's not like it's a huge twist or anything, but there is a really fun reveal when we discover the extent of what has been unleashed by the collapsing drilling rig. So proceed with caution and don't say I didn't warn you. Welcome back. Okay, so if you're still here, you either don't care about spoilers or you took my advice, went and saw the movie, and now you're back. Either way, let's get down to it. So I'll go in order and touch on some points I left out earlier when talking about the plot. Rodrigo is the first character to die in what I consider to be the main group. His death is the one I mentioned that was unsettling and how it wasn't even caused by the monsters. This was before anyone even realized that there were even monsters in the water at all. After Captain Lucian convinces everyone that their only chance for survival is to walk across the ocean floor, everyone has to find working dive suits. We see Rodrigo hand Nora a helmet, then when everyone is submerged, we see that Rodrigo's helmet is broken. There's a crack somewhere in it, and the pressure of the deep sea basically causes Rodrigo to implode as everyone stood shoulder to shoulder with him. That was a great scene for a lot of reasons. For one, it was a visceral scare that happened very quickly. It wasn't a jump scare because we could see what was happening as it was developing, but once we and the characters realized what was going on, it was too late to do anything. Rodrigo's suit just collapsed in on itself, and a pink cloud of muck and internal organs and stuff spread across everyone. It was kind of gross, but it was really just more unsettling to me. I mean, knowing that this is a monster movie, but the first big death happened because of faulty equipment gave me a feeling of uncertainty about everything. I think this death was a great character moment too. Nora realized that Rodrigo gave her a good helmet but kept the bad one for himself. That set up a theme of sacrifice that would be revisited throughout the movie by Nora and by others. I liked that people in the group were all good people, and this was a great early example of that. I don't think Rodrigo knew that he would die, but I do think he knew his helmet was questionable. I think Nora's reaction gave a very clear indication that she thought that way too. She knew Rodrigo took a risk to help her. It was also a little payback for Nora saving Rodrigo's life when the rig initially started to fall apart. Plus, this idea of faulty equipment would be revisited over and over again. The equipment in these movies always looked like it could fall apart at any moment, and that played a large role in Underwater. Nora had to open up and fix multiple things throughout the movie, and the search for working equipment, namely dive suits and escape pods, became a real and ever-present threat. Knowing that one character had already died because of that made everything feel dangerous. 
A little after that, the crew decides to stop to see if they can help someone who has initiated a distress beacon. It's dangerous, and they don't know if the person is even still alive at this point, but they do it anyway without much complaint or many second thoughts. Well, Paul complains, but I think it fits his character. And regardless, he did it anyway. That's when we first discover that there are monsters in the water. Paul and Liam discover a dead body covered in some sort of goo, and they are attacked by what looks kind of like a modified chestburster from Alien. There are some neat practical effects as Emily tries to figure out what this thing is, but more importantly, we've been introduced to the first phase of the monster threat. The crew continues on, and Paul is the next person to die. Even though I've been saying I like the Paul character well enough, I really wasn't too sad to see him go. I think his quips and complaints would have gotten old if he had stuck around too much longer, so his death came up at just the right time. I liked the way he went, too. The crew had to go through this partially collapsed part of the tunnel, and Paul, being the last in line, got caught by some of these baby chestburster monsters that had gotten in through a breach. As the crew tried to pull Paul free of the grip of the monsters, we just saw this explosion of blood fill the inside of his helmet. Again, like Rodrigo, it wasn't too gory, but it was sudden and unsettling. I like this one too. The crew eventually has to go back out into the water, and there they encounter a larger version of the monster. This one is humanoid and bigger than any of the people. It's also very fast as it darts throughout the water. This is one of those scenes where the action can be kind of hard to follow, but like I said earlier, I think it works very well for the sense of chaos and confusion created by the attack. Nora and Lucian are separated from Emily and Liam, and it's very unclear where everyone is. Lucian ends up getting killed as he is dragged down deeper underwater and is crushed by the pressure. Nora is now on her own, and she is in trouble. Nora makes it to an older portion of the facility where she learns that Lucian's daughter, whom had been previously mentioned, died years ago. This is a little nugget of background information that helped inform a lot of Lucian's actions up to that point, and it possibly even helped show why he was kind to Nora, since Nora had mentioned earlier that she was the same age as his daughter, or she would have been had Lucian's daughter lived. Nora gets back out in the water to try to make it to an escape pod, and she finds Emily and Liam still alive. I was happy that they didn't just leave Emily and Liam's fate uncertain. Emily is a good character, like I said, and I cared about what happened to her by this point. As the three of them make it to their destination, which is the actual drilling platform, we all discover together that there aren't just a few creatures, there are a ton of them. The drilling has let loose some sort of undiscovered species of underwater predator, and they have set up a new home all around the drilling platform. The remainder of the crew tries to make it into the platform, but in a great scene, Nora is forced to try to make it past about a dozen of the creatures as they sleep. Of course, things go wrong and Nora has to fight back, but I really love the blend of tension and action here. This was one of the more memorable scenes to me, as was what happened next. Before Nora can make it inside the platform, which Emily and Liam already have done, a brand new creature emerges. In a great shot from Nora's perspective, a gigantic Cthulhu-looking beast emerges from the enormous hole that the platform has been drilling into. Nora looks shocked, but I bet I looked thrilled when this happened. It was such a cool scene and a great reveal. Since there were a fair amount of lights attached to the drilling platform, there were some very nice wide shots of this beast as it only partially brought itself up out of this gigantic hole. Nora makes her way to the platform, and that led to a great finale. 
Nora, Emily, and Liam look for three working escape pods as the beast and the other countless smaller creatures can be seen through this giant window in the room that they're in in the platform. Nora finds only two working pods, but she lies and tells Emily that there are three. Liam is sent off first because he's been injured by this point, but Emily can tell something is wrong. Emily has grown immensely by this point, and she is a survivor. Nora wants Emily to take the pod, and that's why she lied about it, but Emily figures it out, and the two have kind of this argument over, no, you should go, no, you should go. But Nora, in another example of self-sacrifice, forces Emily to blast off in the last pod. Now alone, Nora watches as the creatures, including the gigantic beast, notice the escaping pods and begin to chase them. Nora sees the creature will definitely catch up to the pods pretty quickly, so using the knowledge of the station she's gained and the personal strength she gained throughout the trials that she's faced, Nora overheats the platform's power supply and sets it to explode. In a beautiful series of final shots, the platform does explode, engulfing the creatures and the beast in the blast. We see a final shot of Nora, a close-up on her, as she smiles while the platform begins to blow up all around her. Then we cut to the closing credits, which also serve as an epilogue in the same way that the opening credits served kind of as a prologue. I think this whole final sequence is a fantastic bit of bookending for the movie. The movie began by telling us the background through news clippings, and it ended telling us that Emily and Liam survived, but that everything had been covered up in more news clippings. Also, the opening shots of the movie proper were of Nora contemplating life and being uncertain about things, but the final shots were of Nora contemplating life and being certain and happy about her decisions. Also, the movie began with a disaster that Nora had no control over and where she couldn't save certain people, but it ended with a different kind of disaster fully controlled by Nora, which she used to save everyone that was still alive. It doesn't come much more full circle than that, and I love movies that are able to complete narrative loops in that way. Also, I just loved the gigantic beast at the end. It was such a surprise to me, and it was such a fun moment. Like, no one said it was Cthulhu, but it was Cthulhu. I can't really explain why it made me so happy, it just did. Seeing that monster dwarf everyone and everything else we'd seen so far in the movie was a moment of kind of awe. It was like, okay, it's been a struggle up to this point, but how does anyone survive after this? It was a risky threat to introduce, but I think they paid it off very well. I think one of the things I like so much about it is that it makes me think of all the different possibilities. The movie is kind of bombing at the box office, but had it done better, this would have been a fantastic introduction to a new universe. It was like the people in the movie had uncovered this deep and mysterious threat that, by the end of the movie, had only barely begun to be touched upon. It worked very well for the movie, and it made me want to see more. Sure, a follow-up wouldn't have the same surprise impact that this one did, but it could still be very fun if done in the right way. Like, next time do one that's actually set in space. Don't say it's connected, but reveal this other giant cosmic entity by the end of the movie. Or even just start up a whole Lovecraft-inspired universe. Each movie could be different types of horror, but the connecting tissue could be all these ancient threats that are being uncovered. I think there's something to that for sure. I'd definitely buy into it. But that will about do it for me tonight. I liked Underwater very much when I watched it, but I think I'm liking it even more the more I talk about it. It's not a very deep movie, but it does what it does very well, and it's clear that there was a good amount of care taken in how it was put together. It was put together to create a very specific experience, and for me, it was an experience I was totally ready for. 
I already can't wait to see it again. But before that happens, I have bunches of other movies to watch, and I'll be talking about a lot of them over on cnjradio.com. Check out The Last Theater there, and on Facebook and Twitter, at The Last Theater. The next theatrically released horror movie you'll hear me talk about will probably be The Turning, coming out later in January, but you might hear from me again before that. Until then, though, bye.